You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. Glad to have you here today. It's a a beautiful day, and so I affirm you for being in the house today on a beautiful Sunday afternoon. Um, I have to... um, Give credit where credit is due. Ian joined us today with playing on the guitar with a broken toe. And, you know, it was great. I did bring some pliers. We're going to see how it goes. And we chuckled about maybe having to amputate that toe. And see, you know, we'd, we'd rather pray for that toe and see it restored. And so, but no, I just thank you, Ian, for being here and slugging through that. It was wonderful hearing your guitar playing. And I'm sure the Lord was just smiling and chuckling too. So uh, thank you so much, Ian. I'm going to invite you guys to turn to 1 Kings, um, the chronicles of the account of the kings and their kingship and the people of God. There's such wisdom um, that we can glean from their uh, encounter and how they served the Lord and also how they did not and how the people responded um, to the kings and their kingship. And so as you turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, just a little bit of a recap. Last week, as we were getting into this, we looked at the first unwavering servant, Governor Obadiah. Uh, Maybe you are now looking at Obadiah in a whole new and, and fresh way, but to really sum it up, he was a man who served with distinction, even at great personal risk. It was outright inconvenient. King Ahab was the most wicked king that ever walked the face of Israel. And so it was definitely inconvenient. It was dangerous. And so in many respects, maybe similar in today's day and age, is one serving in a similar sphere. In the public specter, no less, you know, areas of government and such. So if you know someone who's serving in government, whether it's a local MP or an MPP or whatever all the other P's are, you know, pray for them because they need your prayers that they can stand up like Obadiah and be ready for such a time as this. Because I think we all agree and understand what I'm saying. There are far too many liberal-minded, non-believing people occupying places of authority on God's green earth. And so we need to be praying for them. And I was encouraged nonetheless in praying for our leaders, knowing of people who are serving in the public sector, I was encouraged by the story of Obadiah. You know, when you look back and see this reverend servant who faithfully served and even hid prophets of the Lord when uh, Queen Jezebel was trying to kill them, I thought, man, if he was in the room, I think we'd all give him a slow clap like, man, Obadiah, that is awesome. What courageous faith you displayed for us today. And here we go today. We continue in this story and we turn our attention to the other reverent and faithful servant in the story, the prophet Elijah. You know, here we see we are not meant to live our witness alone. We're never meant to live it alone. Here we see, we're going to set this scene. Elijah has been um, summoned by the Lord, if you will, in the third year of the severe drought in the land to go to Obadiah and say, it's going to rain. 
Now, as a nation, we looked at last week, the reason uh, for this uh, severe drought and even famine was as a result of their idol worship. The king had been a proponent along with his wife and, and lifting up, establishing altars and temples to Baal and other gods, putting their name above Yahweh, the Lord of the Israelites. And it wasn't a matter of coincidence. You could say, well, yeah, maybe it really was, but it wasn't. You go to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. But Ahab did what was evil in the Lord's sight, more than all who were before him. Then, as if following the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were not enough, he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians. And then he proceeded to serve Baal and bow and worship to him. Verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So it's showing here, Ahab intentionally took action. He set up an altar. He didn't stop there. He set up the altar within a temple dedicated not to Yahweh, but to another deity, a false god. And so it says this, Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so you should be able to take this and say, it is clear the severity of the famine, it says right in the beginning of 1 Kings, it says that the famine was so severe in the region of Samaria. That's because of where Ahab had established that temple. And so with that, you know, tucked away in your back pocket, we can see that Elijah being sent is coming at, at such an important time. There's not much or much further they could go in the, in the land because of this drought and famine. I couldn't help but note here in my own notes as a devotional, even this afternoon, Elijah being sent by God displays for us yet today his kindness tempering his righteous anger against the idol worship. He was not resolved to just leave and, and destroy them. He wanted to restore them and have right relationship with them. How many of you here today believe that God desires to gather his people in repentance and relationship? You know, we walk around and we do things. The Lord, he, he prompts our heart. He convicts us by the Holy Spirit. It's a natural, ongoing process. It's a good thing. And so Elijah, he's arrived on the scene and he's, and he's come to speak with Ahab, really confront him, but also to declare the end of the drought. And so I think each of us would say, hey, I think King Ahab and company were ripe and ready to listen. And so Elijah, he enters in true prophetic fashion and declares not only how they've gone wrong, but an opportunity for them to return and following the Lord. And so we're going to turn here uh, in the scripture this afternoon, right in uh, 1 Kings 18. And in his exchange with uh, Ahab, Elijah says to the king who uh, basically says, look, this is all your fault. Everything that's happening to Israel is a result of you. And so Elijah replies, as we looked at last week also, he says, I have not ruined Israel but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
you know, what I made note here that really spoke to me is Elijah is not only speaking prophetically in this encounter as we see, but he's taking up leadership. Leadership that King Ahab was really, in all intents and purposes, was missing in action. He's not leading the people as the representative of God's people. In fact, he's teetering on the fence, if you will, along with his wife. He's along for the ride, who by marriage is the queen of Israel. And she's the one in verse 19 as revealed as the proponent of idol worship. It says that these prophets, they are kicking back, if you will, at Jezebel's table. And why am I emphasizing this to this point? Eating here signifies the spending of time together. Who we spend time with matters. You know, like you, as you go through the word, you want to dissect, you want to glean and glean insight, but also allow it to speak over your life. And this spoke to me so clear, like a heat-seeking missile. Who you spend your time with, Andrew, is important. Those you eat, those who you break bread with. It also speaks to who do we give our heart to? Who do we give our heart to matters. Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. So before we even get into really the the theatrical showdown here in this chapter, we can see the wisdom right at the beginning here, at the outset of the story for us today, that as men, if I can speak to the men as I speak to my own self here this afternoon, be wise. We must be wise in who we give our heart to. Especially those maybe even considering marriage, because who you become one with can reap disastrous results if you're unequally yoked. It can be a dangerous thing. But if you found yourself a good man, you've found yourself a good woman, then that is to be praised. That's a wonderful thing. In Proverbs 31.30, it says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord to be praised. And you know, when I came up today from the, the basement in my preparation space, they came up and I saw my beautiful wife and I thought, man, is she beautiful. She had a really nice outfit today. Her hair just looks perfect. Just, you know, one of those days you appreciate your spouse, maybe more so than other days. In the midst of that beauty, I could think of this verse. Equally so, I'm thankful that my wife fears the Lord because the beauty is fleeting. Could you imagine the place that Ahab is in? We don't fully understand his heart other than it says he was more evil than any other king before him. And yet he is in the place where his wife is not like him. And if you don't share the same values, the same root system, you can see where it can lead you. And her lack of reverence for the Lord was pulling Ahab and the nation, the family of Israel down with her. But the king, he knew these community guidelines. And so we're going to get in that here uh, this afternoon, the, the nitty and gritty, if you will. And so right off the top, as we continue in this showdown here, right in uh, verse 20 and on, I want you to remember this passage of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Because at one point, you're going to see where at the end of this showdown with the prophets of Baal, Elijah tells the people that the prophets of Baal and these foreign gods, they are to be put to death. And there's a reason for this. God establishes in his community guidelines the law of the Lord. He says this in Deuteronomy 2, or 7 verse 2. And when 
when the Lord your God delivers them over to you and you defeat them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaty with them and show no mercy. You must not intermarry with them and you must not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will destroy you. Instead, this is what you were to do. So now you can imagine in this context of what Ahab has done as king of Israel, setting up altars and marrying someone he should not have married. Uh, God, the Lord, says this in verse 5 of Deuteronomy 7. Instead, this is what you are to do to them. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their asher poles, and burn their carved images. For you are holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Peter, who walked the earth with Jesus, says for us, as he writes in the gospel account, it says that you are a holy priesthood, a holy nation. But here we see Ahab shows for us what can happen when you do not fear the Lord, when you are unequally yoked. In fact, he ran ahead of God and desired and did as he desired to do, and the consequences were the result. And so as we continue on here, I promise we're going to verse 20. Tuck this away. If you could take something like in your electronic phone and stuff, bookmark this. Tuck this away because it's very helpful to remember that in the midst of all this, in the midst of the rebellion, in the midst of the king not being king and so forth, God still desired to meet with them to show that he was truly the one and only God and he desired to return their hearts to him. And so at the request of Elijah, the king summons the people and the prophets of Baal and they have an opportunity to hear Elijah out. And here's what he says in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us. They are to choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bowl and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you are to call in the name of the Lord your, uh, Lord your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that is fine. Then Elijah said to the prophets, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. Then call in the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bowl that he gave them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's a God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping, and he'll wake up. 
And so they shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. Can you imagine the scene? Just a messy affair that, you know, shows the club district and raves can't even compare to what is happening in all their customs. And then it says in verse 29, all afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, here was Elijah's time. He says, come near me. So all the people approached him and he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, and placed it on the wood. And he said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. And then he said, a second time. They're probably thinking, this guy's nuts. And so a second time, they did it. And he said, a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all over the altar and it even filled the trench with water, which would have worked up to be about a two liter pot bottle, okay, in depth. And so at the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, and you just imagine this heart is probably just thumping like a cannon, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that at your word, I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God and you have turned their hearts back. Right, first and foremost, I appreciate how Elijah's heart is in the right place. This isn't solely about vindicating Elijah and his pride. This is about showing that God of Israel is the true and only God. But he emphasized again for us that God, the Lord God, desires to turn their hearts back to him. Look at his passionate and straightforward prayer. He didn't have to dress it up. He was sincere. He approached the Lord. And here we see, first and foremost, that Elijah's confrontation, this showdown, started with a request. He goes to Ahab. He says, gather the people. And he began to speak to them and offer them a choice. How long will you, you know, go between these two opinions? And he gives them this opportunity. And so practical step number one that Elijah shows us is this, bold obedience. Bold obedience. Just as Elijah, you know, obeyed God's call to front Ahab, this speaks to us today. We must be willing to speak the truth of the gospel in love to those the Lord has put in our heart. So if he says to you, go to so-and-so, you need to go to them. Like Obadiah, don't, don't, he didn't cower away. He went and he carried out his role. You don't want to be any different. I know at times, as we said, it can be uncomfortable. It can be downright scary. But when the Lord summons you, he puts that on your heart. Do not delay because his provision is in hand, as we see from this account. 
As Elijah called on the Lord, it says in verse 38, then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. If you could even imagine what this looks like, wow. The scene, this would have, you know, what a visual for the people. But it all started with a request. Elijah had to take that action and, and begin there. And so the way this spoke to me today as I, I share with you, if it starts with a request with us also, it can be as simple as speak to that person the Lord has put on your heart and say, hey, can we chat? Could we go for a coffee? I mean, maybe there's something you know about them. Maybe they're a, they're a golfer or they, you know, whatever their hobbies may be. Start that, you know, opportunity to have the conversation. And at times, Elijah's showing us here, whatever those declarations may be, the key is not to be deterred by the numerous bystanders or those rallied against the cause of God in whom you serve. This is something that I am learning every day because at times you can feel like you're all alone. By the way, Elijah was not alone. Obadiah had fit, had hit hundreds of prophets of God. But for whatever reason, maybe he thought he was the only true faithful one still, you know, going toe-to-toe with the enemy. But there's times when you can go into the highways and byways and you can feel like, I'm alone. You might be deterred, especially when we live in a very liberal town, a very progressive town, in the way of which it turns in idol worship and their own ideas and ideologies with relationships and who they want to marry and so forth. It's a, it is a very liberal place to be, as a beautiful place to be. And so that can be daunting. Having that conversation can be uncomfortable. But Elijah shows us not only bold obedience is rewarded, but that we must step out in courageous faith. So look at this. Elijah steps up against the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Think about that number for a moment. How many people he went toe-to-toe? It's not like a box in the ring having a face-off against one. He went up against a total of 850 prophets, 850 to one. So certainly if the gods that these other prophets represent, if they were truly God, he would have been truly outmatched for they would have heard their cries and their dancing and their raving, but they said it was silence. What I, what I chuckled about this in preparation, and I hope you can find this humorous too, is Elijah As he mocked them, he challenged them on their own turf, their own self-proclaimed altars, the very place that they were confident that their gods were high above any other god, and they, in fact, their gods would meet them there and come to their aid. But here they are in the third year of a severe drought and famine, and these so-called deities have done absolutely nothing. And so Elijah was confident, no matter their number or their comfortability and location, he was determined in his heart that the Lord Yahweh is alone God. He alone is God. The one who met Moses in the burning bush, who protected and led the Israels by a pillar of fire, would make himself known in the middle of that trench. And he said, pour it out more, more water. Just keep pouring it on. It doesn't matter. And so look what Elijah faced. As we already looked, it showed that these, these, these people were in many respects were out of their minds. They were raving. 
They were cutting themselves, shouting and carrying on. In many respects, I couldn't help but note the connection to today in many respects, that there are many who gravitate to unsound doctrine. They'll dance upon that unsound doctrine. They will, you know, cultivate it and, and, and rave around and say, isn't this wonderful? And, and, and start to chalk up things about God in ways in which he, he never established himself to be. But just like in the case of Elijah, I believe here today, as we truly stand on the word of God, the truth of the gospel in love, he will come to our aid and he will show that he alone is God. But what will we do when we face that test? When people question you about where you stand. I could imagine that 850, I know it's not written in the account, but I find it hard to believe to say that the, the other prophets weren't calling out Elijah at all. I'm sure there was some taunting going on. Any sporting match or showdown, there's something happening. If you go look at the line of scrimmage, whether in football, hockey, you name it, there's always a little bit of chitter-chatter going on. And yet you got to love Elijah's obedience in the face of this adversity, which should show for us here this afternoon that God's plan often requires us to step out of our comfort zone and, and attack that line of scrimmage, if you will, even into so-called occupied areas as we stand on the, on the truth of the gospel. And so practical takeaway point number three is this. We have home court advantage. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, we live in a perverse and evil time, but anywhere we go, the Lord, who is spirit, is with us. It's always home court advantage. Do you believe this? When you go into the hospital, wherever you go, when you're praying for people, it says that he is with you. Where two or three are gathered, he is in their midst. Home court advantage. This is something where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure many other preachers have come at this at different angles, but I couldn't help but just see this image of this great showdown, home court advantage for Elijah in the midst of the 850 pompous prophets of false gods. And that wherever we go, because where the, where the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here the people were about to be freed from the severe drought that they had faced. And so at the very end, this whole altercation, the people respond in verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's the literal translation out of the Hebrew. He is God. There is no one above him. And so with all the, for all intents and purposes, Elijah tells them to pour on the water, the gallons on the, on the sacrifice so that they would know without a shadow of a doubt when the rain would follow, they would attribute to no one else except for Yahweh. And so here we see in the story as we carry on, after the prophets have been put under the sword, it says in verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink for there is the sound of a rainstorm. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up, looked and said, there's nothing. You gotta love it. Elijah didn't stop there. He wasn't deterred. It says seven times, Elijah said, go back. How many times 
when God's called you to something that maybe after the first time you don't see the result that you walk away and you say, well, you know what? That wasn't the Lord or it's not for me and you let someone else continue. Elijah continued seven times. Seven is the number of perfection. Sometimes you just need to persevere. And so Elijah goes on, verse 44, on the seventh time he reported, there's a small cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. And so it was at a distance. And Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. This is showing this is going to be an intense rainstorm. You better get the heck out of here because it's coming and it's going to cover the land with rain. And in verse 45, it says, in a little while, the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour. And so Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord was on Elijah and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Look at this, this trust that's highlighted for us. Elijah trusted in the, the providence of God to bring about his miraculous power. It shows us here today to trust not only in his timing, but to continue to pray. You know, this is something in my life. I'm only 38 years old. My go-to has not always been prayer. When you're facing this situation, when you're repetitively going up against something, there were times where it wasn't prayer. There was times like you would naturally default to different strengths or skill sets that I possess, even by the grace of the Lord. But here he's showing us persevere in prayer. And what I wrote here in my notes is, as Brad comes here this afternoon, this event showcases for us today that God's timing ways are not only more than we can ever truly comprehend and understand, but we don't have to understand all of his working to have faith that he is working. If I can encourage you with anything else but that today, you don't have to understand it all, but trust that he is working. You know, in our fast-paced lives, we often struggle with this. We struggle in our own zeal. We even struggle in our own frustration with what is occurring before us in the world of the lost that we care for, for the lives of the brothers and sisters in the Lord who have maybe been dissuaded or swayed and uh, teetering on the line of apostasy, if you will. But like Elijah, let us learn to trust in God's timing and his providence, knowing that he will, and hear this, he will work all things together for your good, for those who are called according to his good will and purpose. His good will and purpose is that you would give your heart to him and desire by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more like Christ. If you're involved in worshiping different idols, your allegiance is divided. And it, it seeks to establish a roadblock in your life. Thank God because of, of the grace of our Lord Jesus and what he did on the cross, you are saved. But I don't want a roadblock in my life. I want a complete river, a stream from the, the heavenly throne of our Lord. Why even give time to the things that compete? Why give time to idols? 
prayer independence. This prayer, Elijah shows us, teaches us to cultivate a consistent prayer life, to seek his guidance and strength in all circumstances. And so as we are worshiping today, as we come to a close, when we were singing, I will call upon the Lord, those words are so impactful and so true that whatever is before you, call upon the Lord. Maybe you're experiencing a sort of famine in your life, maybe even a sort of, of drought in the ways that you can relate it to your own sphere of circumstance, but God sees and he's gonna make a way. He's gonna bring the provision, but you need to turn away from the things that seek to divide your attention. The Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. Jesus says this, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about how beautiful the statement is by Jesus. This means that we who are in Christ, when he makes the home, he's bringing freedom into all aspects of the home. But you need to surrender your will to him and say, Lord Jesus, have your way in my home, my thought life, all particulars of my family dynamics, my relationships, and he is going to make a way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible uh, illustration, the wisdom in Scripture of the showdown of your, your messenger, the prophet Elijah, that still speaks to us today. There's so many things, Lord, that we could have looked at and, and gleaned in this uh, interaction, this encounter. But Lord, at the end of the day, we thank you that you desire to show the world that you are the one true God and that you do work through us by the power of your spirit. Lord, we thank you for your, your spirit at work in us, re regenerating us and sanctifying us that the day that we met you, that the day that we come to see you face to face, we'll be, we'll be entirely different because we're being transformed into your likeness. We thank you, Lord, as we call upon you in this time, Lord. We thank you that you stir us you turn our hearts to you, for you are mighty to save. Help us even when we don't fully understand to have faith in you nonetheless. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to join in response with worship with Brad and team. Brad.
washed in his blood and what he did for me on Calvary's morning I trust in God my Savior the Yeah. 
never fail. I trust in God, my Savior, the one He will never fail. He will never fail. Bless your name, O Lord. Father, we thank you that we have met you today. Lord, sense your moving of your spirit is so tangibly prompting hearts. Father, thank you, Lord, that as we look to your word and that we've even sang and aligned in worship this afternoon, God, that you are moving you are mending and the rainstorm is on its way. Father, we thank you that when we leave this place, we are not the same. We partner with heaven and with your holy angels and the power of your Holy Spirit that as we go forth from this venue, that God, that we know that you are not only with us, but you desire to declare to the world that lost, that you are truly God. Speak through us. Give us the opportunities to see opportunity to request a conversation with those that you put in our path. Quicken our hearts. Quicken our steps, Lord Jesus. And Father, above all else, I thank you from the, the promise of your word. Lord, you are establishing your assembly. Lord, you are building your universal church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Even when it might seem numerous in the community, there might be the bystanders and they're raving and they're carrying on. Lord, may we not be dissuaded when our eyes see such an event. But God, we would like Elijah trust in you that you and your fire are going to fall in such a sweet and powerful way, transforming hearts, capturing minds, that they, when they call upon your name, that they shall be saved. We claim that for our families and our friends and those upon our heart right now. Use us, Lord. Have your way, Lord Jesus call upon you, Lord, and you answer. I call upon you, Lord, and you answer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We call upon you, Jesus. church as we continue this time of worship and we're you know aware of you know maybe obligations and, and things that as you go and if you need to go we want to say God bless you go with the truth of the word that's been seated in your heart today 
And as you look to those promptings, the Lord is with you. And if you are going to stay in this moment in the time of worship, I encourage you, whatever is heavy upon your heart, just to very, you know, tangibly offer it to the Lord like an altar, a sacrifice of praise. For this is your pleasing and honorable worship before the Lord. Father, we offer all things to you. Our agendas, our passions, our dreams, our desires. Quicken us with the joy of you as we align according to your good will and purpose for our life. In Jesus' name, we love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Brad, could we continue to sing? as you feel led as, the, as some people remain in a time of worship here. We thank you, Jesus. I saw